0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change, Freddie? Do soccer is going to
0: explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We we're the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie Show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure.
2: New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Welcome to episode 231 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca Commas featured on ESPN, The Guardian, and of course, the Barcelona Podcast. How are you doing today, Frances?
3: Hola, Cules, Hola, Dan. Um, yeah, I've, I've had better days, to be honest. Um, Barca have not done too well in the last game. I'm sure we're going to talk about it you know, plenty of time now. Um, so, yeah, my mood gets affected by howbasa does in the games, which I'm sure happens to a lot of people in the audience. And uh, yeah, I kind of just, just no way to break it down with you,
2: yeah. So instead of starting the show with a negative, I'm going to start it with a positive and I do want to give a special thank you to our listener group on Facebook, the Closed Listener Group. If you want access to that, you can join that on Facebook. Just answer the three questions and I'll let you in the listener group. And I also want to give a special thank you to our patrons as well, their positivity, their questions and all of that. So for all the negativity, Frances, I want to start with positivity and say that our listener group and our patrons in particular have been awesome to see and an awesome community to be a part of even through all of this negativity, which is where we begin Obviously, Barcelona lost yesterday 2-1 to Cadiz in the Liga action. They fall now in the league table all the way down to ninth place, which is not a place you want to be in. Cadiz, to their credit, are in fifth in the table just outside one of those Champions League spots. Atletico Madrid, Real Sociedad, Villarreal, and Real Madrid, the top four there. and Even Real Madrid have been pretty garbage this season. Really, only Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad have, we'll say, separated themselves in terms of play on the field. There are different places where I could start this show. I was thinking, do we start with Coleman? Do we start with Griezmann, Messi, Coutinho? A little discussion on that. Do we start with Busquets? But I think I want to start here with Coleman. And a question for you. Do you think Coleman could have done better? I mean, people have been talking about the second half substitutions. But if you were Coleman, how would you have started this match? And how would you have finished this match if you had indeed done what he had done in the beginning?
3: Well... I wouldn't go for the formation that he uses for a start. I think that people <laughs> that have been listening to the podcast for the last three four years know that I'm not the biggest fan of the 4231 and I would go for a traditional 433 three. Um, but obviously Kuman doesn't seem to be doing that. So if you go for the 4231 at the beginning and you go for the lineup that he chose, then throughout the game I would have introduced different variations. I'm not quite sure why he substituted Serginho Des, for example, who was arguably our best player, especially moving forward. So I didn't quite understand that. Um, He brought in Trincao, but then again, he brought him in to play as a right back, effectively, which is obviously out of his position. So I don't really understand that. Also, I was quite puzzled how he brought in Dembélé, which is a valid substitution. I think that Coutinho was screaming out loud to get substituted himself. And he places him in front of Jordi Alba so that they they're, they're anuling each other. They they're running into each other's spaces. So I think that those two changes, those two substitutions, those two modifications after half time, I didn't quite understand. I would have probably placed Dembele as a right wing. And obviously, then you've got him pushing forward and the Serginho Des, who was, as I said already, one of the best players, if not the most incisive attacking player then you're doubling that attacking threat from the right because what Barca have been doing a lot lately and you know when Jordi Alba and Messi in particular are firing in all cylinders it's there's no problem to do this but when they're a little bit weak and unusual being so crowded on the left or so insistent on going through the left is not going to speed anything up so I didn't quite understand either one of those to be honest.
2: Yeah I mean I I don't want to talk about everything right at the start but I think we're Quickly going to be getting to Coutinho over and over and over again, talking about that left side of the field where the majority of the attacks went down the left side with Alba and Coutinho, but not really with Coutinho. Merely they were trying to feed Alba and get the ball circulating and moving on that left flank. And for Coutinho, the eye test told you that he was rough. Now, the advanced metrics, he had 56 touches just in the one half. 86% 86% on passing, where you know that you saw some of the problems there, especially the level of his passing. That's where the eye test really failed you on Coutinho. And not only was that one of the worst starts he had had, but to me, it was such a juxtaposition for what Barca had been in recent weeks. Obviously, they came off three straight wins, 11 goals scored, zero conceded, all of that. But it felt like with Griezmann playing with a bit more confidence, Messi was rested midweek. I think, not that there was hope that... Barcelona and this starting 11 would turn over a new leaf but I think that there was an idea that at least some of the issues with spacing where Brothwaite at the number nine might have solved some of those issues that Coutinho and Griezmann and Messi were going to be able to operate and cooperate a bit better but against Cardiff it was completely shut down where Coutinho was completely poor Griezmann was missing in the second half even with Coutinho off the field and, I mean, Messi is Messi in his spot, so you're always going to say that he gets, I will say, first dibs on certain locations on the field, and it all it kind of connected with why that first half was so difficult and why the second half wound up being poor as well, because even those goals are scored on fluke goals. You could argue that Barca still played well enough to have gotten some kind of result against the fifth best team in Spain so far this year in a place at the Carranza, which arguably is actually, even without fans, a difficult spot to be. I know they don't have to deal with altitude or anything like that that you might in the Basque country, but still, Cadiz play not this season well at home, but it's always a, a place that's supposed to be difficult in La Liga lore. And going back to the point about Coutinho, though, he was non-existent, not showing up, and it's this idea that if you have him on that left wing, even as an inverted winger, he's occupying those same spaces. And I, I, I want to put a pin in in the counter attacking point because even Catath defensively weren't doing anything magnificent or mind boggling for Barcelona. They were, it wasn't even eleven guys behind the ball. They were playing in a four four two medium block at times. And yes, in the second half they shifted to a little bit more of a low block, but it wasn't anything outrageous in terms of defensive ingenuity and it was a a lack of not only breaking them down but finding those spaces they needed to be to work together and for me I was just supremely disappointed by Coutinho that not to bring up Pouge once again but I, I think the more important point is Pedri that Pedri is the better player at the moment than Coutinho he just does more for Barcelona he looked different the attack looked better in the second half he I mean even the way he presses he presses with so much more effort and I mean maybe it's youthful naivety but he doesn't get caught out of position when he's pressing either and he helps win the ball back in a way that Coutinho just doesn't do that and so Pedri has earned his minutes and you could argue that as I said it should be Pedri starting over Coutinho and then Puj and Coutinho you should let them fight it out but as we keep talking about it's 180 million euros potentially for Coutinho and it's the same argument for Griezmann I'm gonna flip it on you here we were on Griezmann a ton in the first part of this season But, I mean, Coutinho, his price tag is even higher.
3: Yes, and the thing is, we need to forget about that price tag because otherwise we'd just be banging our heads against the wall every single time. I think that the price tag that we paid um, was expensive at the time. Seems extortionate now based on what he's produced in the last two and a half seasons. Um, Coutinho cannot play as a winger for Barca. I think that was quite clear the first time around. And the second time round, is just proving itself again. Um, when Coutinho has played well this season, which happened a little bit at the beginning, was when he was playing as a number 10. But um, against Cádiz, who are the team that defend the best in the whole of Spain, to be honest, and they are the team in the whole of the top five European leagues that have the ball the least, and that are getting the better points you know, in that, that terms of ratio. It was silly to play Griezmann and Messi so close to the centre. Uh, because they were running into each other's spaces. They were annuling each other. Um, Martin Braithwaite, who has been so good lately, um, didn't have any spaces to run into because basically Griezmann and Messi were doing the running for him. Um, if you add to the mix that there's another third number 10 in Coutinho starting from the left wing, that you can start wherever you want. But if you're going to drift towards the middle whenever you've got the ball and he didn't really even have it that often, then it just gets too congested. So Barca lacked a lot of width. I think the player that gave the most width was Serginho. Jordi Alba did not have his best game, even though he did try. But overall, I think that Barca made it too easy for Cádiz to defend um, by piling and overpopulating the middle far far too often without much creativity, which obviously we've already spoken about human substitutions. And uh, I think there should have been much more variety of attacks, much more interlinking, swapping of position, And uh, that just didn't happen. And uh, when you've got... Players of the calibre, in terms of the wage, in terms of the pedigree, in terms of what they've done in their careers, that just cannot beat anyone one on one, other than Messi and arguably Sergio on the run. Then it's very, very, very difficult and very tough to play a team that obviously got promoted from the second division last year. They are, you know, reeking with confidence, and they don't forget they beat Madrid as well. Um, not, not to make any excuses, but they did. And uh, they're doing fifth in La Liga when everyone expected them to be one of those up and down, that like we call them in Spanish, ascensor teams going from the second to the first division. They seem to be here to stay. They play football, which is, in my eyes, revolting. But then again, if you look at the squad that they have, the players that they have, the, the funding that they have, the budget that they have, then the fact that they are playing to their strength is actually very clever of the manager. And that Basically, they got everything clicking and Barca just don't.
2: Yeah, Avaro Savar is doing a wonderful job with that Cadiz team. Uh, as I said, it's a shame that there are no fans in the stadium, the fans in the southwest of Spain. And their reputation, they have... Good humor about them, but they also seem to be not necessarily an overly rowdy bunch, but just a fun bunch. And that's why it's a shame that there's no fans down in the stands down in the southwest of Spain at the moment. Again, credit to Severa, but now Coleman has a different problem on his hands once again, where we thought that Brothwaite had solved at least the Griezmann issue. And I think he still does. I think arguably in the beginning of that game... Knowing that Cadiz were going to defend in the way that they did, I think the game plan was pretty simple and that it was to get Griezmann up in behind. And he did. There were a few runs in the first 10 minutes of the match where, or at least the first eight minutes before the goal happened. And then because Cadiz being Cadiz, that goal flipped the entire match on its head because of of an unfortunate mistake by a 21-year-old center back in Oscar Mingueta, who for every center back in the game, he had had three perfect games. Then he makes one mistake, and it's a shame he came off at halftime too. But that becomes an issue because now you've conceded that goal, and it didn't matter that it was on the road or at home, but you've conceded a goal to a defensive team like Candice, and you knew it would be an uphill battle after that. So I want to continue to talk about some of the spacing and lineup issues after this break. This episode of the Barcelona Podcast is brought to you by Fanatis. You know, sometimes you're in the middle of something. A family event, a road trip, well, not right now, but a work, doctor's appointment, bathroom break, shopping spree, whatever it may be. While Barcelona is playing in the Liga, we know that for you, like us, football is priority number one. And missing a single minute of Messi and his magic is unforgivable. That's when you can grab your phone, tablet, or even your TV and fire up Fanatis. Fanatis gives you a front row seat to watch the Liga and Messi for just $7.99 a month. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. Join at fanatis.com. But there is down in the description, we have a special link and hit that link and sign up for Fanatis as those subscription companies are getting more and more and more expensive and their add-ons and all those different things. It's just $7.99 a month upfront for Fanatis. So again, you can join us, just hit that link down in the description below. Big help on that. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So as I said, you solve one problem and two more seem to pop up. And so the problem that was solved was that Griezmann playing as using Brothwaite as a reference point has gotten the best out of Griezmann. And the idea that Messi and Griezmann can be incorporated together, I think, does work with Brothwaite as the reference point. Once you get rid of him, then the space between Griezmann and Messi, it's odd because adding that third player seems to congest it a little less because Griezmann is playing with off of someone else that isn't just Messi, because that hasn't been the situation that worked. But then you throw Coutinho into the mix there. And as we've said, it doesn't work with Coutinho on the mix. And there's just not enough room for him once again. And so now you're having the argument, not even Pedri versus Coutinho, but in the starting lineup, do you keep Brothwaite in the starting lineup? He is the only number nine. Yes, he wears number nine in the back of his jersey, but he's the only number nine on the roster. There's not another player that you could put in that position to be a reference to Griezmann. For me, if you're choosing between getting the best out of Griezmann and getting the best out of Coutinho, I'm going to choose Griezmann in that situation. And I mean, it's not as black and white for Coleman to have to choose between two of the most, the three most expensive players in in club history. But I think it may have to be. If you're going to get results in La Liga, and this is that whole thing about bravery that we've been talking about even for weeks and before Fati got injured, that so many of Coleman's most consistent and best players who've worked together have been younger. In the same way that Barca's right side—and this is no disrespect to Sergio Roberto—but Ray Hudson made a point on the broadcast, on the BM Sports broadcast yesterday, that he thinks Dest defends better than Sergio Roberto. And if that's true, then there's no reason Roberto should come back as a starter. If if it's if you believe that Dest is the better defender, no chance for Sergio Roberto come back because if that's where Dest is actually weaker, where he's he's leaving in space behind and he's getting forward in the way that he is. So the argument is that these younger players in Pedri, in Fatih, in Dest, they've showed up over and over, and I, I throw Carlos Lenya in the mix, too. We're going to get to the midfield in a second, but Carlos Lenya, throw him in there, too. Every time he's been on the pitch this year, he has barely put a foot wrong, and he's been fantastic. And then you have the mistakes that we've seen of Pjanic and De and Busquets, where they're inconsistent so far up and down throughout the year. So for Coleman, his most consistent better players have been the younger players. And even Pedri, yeah, he's faded in and out, but that coming off the bench in that match, having finally been rested for the first time this season... He looked lively. He looked like he had his 18-year-old legs back again. So it's an argument of can Komen at this point, in a way that Valverde wasn't, in a way that Setien wasn't, can he now once again be brave enough, or the opposite of that, can he not be so stubborn as to have to sit the guys that are the high-profile ones that they're talking about and they're being written about all over the world in the big papers? Do you have the courage to sit the guys who are out of form and who do not work well together?
3: I think he does, and I think he should, uh, but I understand why he didn't. I mean, if you think about it, its it was a crucial match for him. It was an incredibly important match, much more important than the Champions League matches that we just sort of played recently. Um, Barca doing really well, not conceding, scoring for fun. You know, I think it was 11 goals in three matches. That's, that's pretty significant, especially knowing where we're coming from. So with those players obviously having had a, a really long trip all the way to Hungary and back. Um, I think playing the best players or the players that get the highest salaries made perfect sense because this was a win-win situation. Now, obviously, the way that it was organized just didn't work out. And uh, it was about reacting. It was about modifying. It was about implementing different changes so that the team looked better. But having said that, it just didn't work out. And I think it it wasn't the fact that Barca didn't dominate the game because they did. It wasn't the fact that they didn't have enough passing and, and possession and you know able to organize the game, moving the ball from side to side. They did. It's just it wasn't done at a speed, and it wasn't done at a speed that was useful. It lacked purpose. It lacked profundidad. It lacked depth, and it lacked mobility up front. And all of those things, that um, the, the factors that someone like Ansu Fati would have given you, something that Pedri would have done if he'd been playing on the wings, which obviously he wasn't. Dembele, if he hadn't been sort of partnered up with Alba in the same side, they probably would have had two different options in either side. Sabino Serginio, Des didn't help either. But saying all of that, I think the key factor that really affected Barça's Barça's um, scoreline really, the fact that we, basically the reason why we lost is the fact that we had twenty one attempts and out of those only one was scored and it was a deflection. Uh, which was a pretty embarrassing goal to score. But then again all goals actually do count. Um and Kadith, I don't see them complaining about the goal they scored first. So, if we hadn't given away amateur like balls, like we have done in repeated games against Alavés, against Atletico, obviously against Cadiz twice, you've got Neto to blame for the first one, Terstegen, then you've got Mingueza that just some, somehow happened to be falling the wrong way, which is unfortunate. Then Alba, Lenglet and Terstegen, all three of them collectively going to sleep. Um, and then, you know, having this incredibly stupid goals scored against you.
2: That second goal there against Cadiz, bet- the mistake between Alba, Langley, and Ter Stegen, honestly, I-, I don't mean to be overreactive here, but that was one of the most embarrassing goals in more than 15 years of mm. watching Barca games that I have seen. I mean, because it was not even an individual, because even Ter Stegen against Atletico Madrid, where he gets caught up by Carrasco, that is merely just a a shot of blood to the head and a, a mental error that happens in, in a split second. But you needed three Barca players to make almost premeditated mistakes. Alba could t- have t- taken an hour. Well, not really. He'll get a yellow, but he could have taken a full 30 seconds to throw that ball in well back to Langley. And then Langley could have put his body in front of it. And then Ter Stegen could have done a myriad of things after he watched the ball bounce past Langley. It was, for me, it was a collective that I had not seen. And I mean, for me, that one completely sums up the season so far. And so I was thinking about this, Francesca, as well, when that second goal was scored. If Barca were in form and having a good season, we'll say, and the same players were clicking or in form or whatever it may be, is that goal scored at all? Or is that goal merely one that is scored because Barca aren't themselves? Because this is a weird season and those are the kind of goals that Barca give up in weird seasons.
3: Well, possibly, but the thing is, is this not what Barca do lately? When I say lately, the last three, four years, because a goal that has so many players messing up so badly, just the, the latest one I remember is the one in Liverpool when everyone went to sleep in the corner. It was not a much of that importance, but if you think about it in the context of the current season, this could have been this could have been the turning point for Barca in La Liga. This could have been like a, un cochin, like a little cushion for Kuman in, in the domestic competition to actually say, actually, we're bouncing back. We're winning in Cadiz. Uh, we're nine points behind Atletico with uh, two, matches to, two matches in hand, two matches to play that they won't have. Or Andreas Sociedad as well. So, you know, you will be coming closer to the top. And, uh, you know, everything's hunky-dory. Everything's back to normal. But to mess up so badly is, um, is mind-boggling. And it's not acceptable. It is embarrassing. And it's not something that, that should be happening. Um, I read some comments in the group the other day. And someone was saying that we were too pessimistic in the last podcast. And, uh, well, here we are again, you know, here we are again, not not being pessimistic, but we have to see, we have to say what we see. Now, I've been following Barca for over 30 years. I've seen this before. You know, this is the worst Barca La Liga star in 33 years, but it's not much better or much worse in this case than the Lorenzo Serra-Ferrer season in 99-2000 or the Luis van in the... I would say 2003, 2004, 2002, that, that's those sort of years. Yeah. It was a season in which we didn't really have any players doing incredibly well, uh, maybe Rivaldo doing well and sort of carrying the team a little like Messi somehow carrying the team now, but not having the impact or not having enough impact on a collective sort of level to take the team forward. So I know I say every week this is a transition season and, and it still is, but it, it's reminding me more and more of what I've always referred to since I started writing for Barca Block around 12 years ago as the dark ages of the Van Gaal era. is that There were players that were valid. There were players that were good on an individual basis. But when they get together, when they play collectively, the unit just doesn't click. And um, I know he gets a lot of flack, but I think that missing Gerard Piqué in the center of defense, it really is affecting, affecting a lot. So all of the people that really criticize Piqué for whatever he does I don't know how they're feeling now that the team is basically crumbling when he's not there. Um, Of course, he's never going to be Carlos Puyol in terms of leadership, but he does understand what a game is. He does understand what it takes to win. He does understand how to slow things down when needed. He does know how to press the referees, to be honest. And he's got more charisma, more stature, and he's more respected than with all due respect, Lenle and Mingueza that we've got playing right now. So I think that the team lacks leadership in difficult moments. And, um, of course, we lost in Liverpool and Roma and wherever else with Piquet on the pitch. But I think that having Piquet a fit Piquet who is mentally ready, is always going to be a plus. And I think that we're missing him right now.
2: Yeah, you brought up a lot of good points there. I want to start with, I want to add the 2006 card at the, the, his final season as well. It gets that feeling in that there certainly is a change of the guard coming. And people have been talking about Messi's motivation and all the the things that have happened off the pitch that involve Lionel Messi at the club. and his disposition, and it's not a matter it's not a matter of me calling out his captainship or saying he's not dedicated to the club because that is what he is. But in the sense that he has himself said, maybe it was time for me to have moved on. Maybe it's time for a new generation. There's things that are just systemically not working here at the club. And you get that sense that unlike when Ronaldinho and Deco were necessarily calling out the problems that were or, or putting responsibility on themselves, that problems at the club were happening because of some of the things that Ronaldinho was up to, we'll say, off the pitch because they had done a little bit of winning. And I, and I again, I, I'm not comparing the lifestyle of Ronaldinho to Lino Messi because they're night and day, it's not the same thing, right? They're completely opposite. But Messi himself And this is accountability. He has mentioned that there seems to be a changing of the guard that should be happening. That that is coming, and he's almost telling us he is. Over the summer, he had that interview where he said, "You know, this is pretty much 2006, guys. If you really look in the mirror, I mean, that makes you optimistic for next season." But I want to also add to that point about PK. That you're right, PK at his best. Yeah, he's had some form issues in previous seasons, but at least for the last two and a half years or so, he wasn't too great in the first half of Valverde's first half. For first half of his first half of that season, okay, got that out. But anyway, Langley to me is a B B plus defender, and a, his best, even is a B plus defender. And PK at his best is an A A plus defender. That's what we've seen. That's what history is going to tell us. And when you look at Langley, his first season at Barca came over from Sevilla was fantastic. He's not been good this year. He's not been terrible. But he's also been Barca's only healthy center back all season long. But Lengley has not been at his best. And so for Barcelona to not have a center back at the top, top level when they leave so much space in behind, and I'm going to transition here with Busquets. You're going to watch this masterful transition here as we talk about the counterattack and how Barca, not their counterattack, but how they are beat on the counterattack and what their defensive shape looks like. When you have Griezmann, Coutinho, and Messi popping up and operating in different spaces, your press A is completely out of position at all times. And that puts a heavy, heavy emphasis on the mobility of your two defensive midfielders in that double pivot, Indy Young and Busquets. But it also, as we continue to talk about, puts extreme strain on your two center backs if you have your full backs up high and wide, which is what Alba and Dest are. And we've admitted that having Dest and Alba push high up the field is the appropriate spacing that is required offensively to pull out those low blocks and to create those spaces in for a number nine and Griezmann and Messi and the like in that attack. So we admit that the fullbacks need to be that high and that means you're going to have to give something up. You can play that high line but you're going to have to make sure that your center backs are getting back and tracking well. And Lingle just hasn't done that this season. His positioning has been a little bit off and he doesn't have the foot speed that Araujo has. And I've actually been pleasantly surprised as well with the closeout speed of Mingueza. I think his positioning has been pretty good on counter attacks. But Mingueza and Lingle are both not top speed center backs. And they also don't have the tactical positioning because for as much as you get on PK, his positioning is largely correct on counterattacks. That's what helps him be that final line of defense. So I just want to add that too. And now I'm going to transition to talking about the issues with Busquets. That I didn't think Busquets should have started this game. I thought even though he played midweek for 90 minutes, he's only he's still played, I think, less than 350 minutes on the season in Alanya. I thought he and De Young should have started together, with De Young even operating a little bit lower in that double pivot on the field. And Alenya just a bit farther in front of him, almost acting as an interior. But I'm not going to give away a 4-3-3. But in build up, something that looks like a 4-3-3, even though it is a 4-2-3-1. All that said, though, even though Busquets started in the match, maybe he shouldn't have. He was the second best player on the field behind Messi. He was. I mean, I was arguing with people online because he's had a bad season, and you and I have agreed that he shouldn't be the out-and-out starting 11 starter. I think. Pjanic and De Young are a better double pivot in terms of their legs and accessibility and, and combining between offense and defense and the transitions that happen on the field. When you have a game that needs to have the pace controlled, Busquets is the option. He's been the option. We saw his, I'd say his second best match of the season was against Juventus in that 2-0 win where he completely dismantled Juventus using the pace and just changing direction in a way of the match rather and being that focal point and setting the tone in a way that Xavi used to in a way that Busquets used to and he hasn't done that at all this season by and large but he started this match second best player on the field 133 touches I'm not even talking about his accurate passing percentages he had over 107 completed passing people are going to get on that he gave the ball away 16 times but he also won the ball back on 10 different occasions as well and only lost a few of those duels. The reason Barca were in that match, even in the second half, because you mentioned when Des came on off, sorry, Barca changed a bit. Actually, I thought Busquets, who also came off in that substitution pattern, when he came off, Barca were dismantled in the same way and they looked just as lost when he was replaced by, by, I believe it was Pjanic. So Busquets, you can say he was bad this season, but he was good yesterday. I think one of the problems we have as kool when we talk about these legends is that we say, oh, he's done. It's the same thing with Rakitic. Once they felt like the fan base had turned on Rakitic, he couldn't have a good performance and it wasn't going to happen. So I want to stop there in that Barca as a whole gave up two flute goals to, as you, I mean, I agree with you, It's one of the best defenses, not only in Spain, but in European football, two flute goals. And then you're going to tell me that Busquets was terrible. I mean, he can't cut out counterattacks anymore like he's supposed to. But if I I mean, you know, I stand for Frankie DeYoung all the time. I'm going to use a word that the kids use in a stand. I always defend Frankie DeYoung. I wanted him, at, I mean, I wrote an article for Barca blog crying that he was going to PSG. It was, I think for me as a journalist, the least credible I've ever been is that my hopeful exuberance that Frankie de Jong is always going to be great, but he hasn't been a top 10 midfielder like he was at Ajax. He hasn't been good enough and he wasn't good against Kadath either. I would have taken Coutinho and de Jong off at halftime and Minguetha winds up being the catalyst, but I think Coman was right to keep Busquets on into the second half and let him play that out until he would reached about 60-70 minutes. So, I, the only, I guess my big point here about Busquets is that you can talk about the bad games when he has them, but he was one of the best players on the field yesterday and just because his time is fading, even though he's galloping his way into the horizon, into the sunset, it doesn't mean he's gone already, so you have to be able to recognize when he does have a good performance.
3: He was good recovering the ball. I think that he was, um, his usual self of the last year, two years, went on possession. Um, I do think that he looks for Messi very, very often now. Um, I think that that is something that he needs to change, to be honest. Um, if you think about it, the last game when we played in Europe away, that obviously we won convincingly. So when Messi was not playing, then the team played differently. Um, if you then go to Cadiz away, uh, win-win, Situation: You have to win it. There's no other option. You've got Busquets in the starting eleven. Normally, looking for Messi whenever Messi is available. You've got Jordi Alba, who pretty much does the same thing. That's already two players that connect the same way a lot of the time. When you've got Griezmann running into Messi's space, then if Busquets could obviously have the two choices with Griezmann and Messi sort of running into the same space, the ball always goes goes to Messi. So you therefore don't empower Griezmann to make the difference, then I think that is the key reason why Kulesa is saying that um, Busquets should have been replaced. Um, I don't think he was bad. I think he could have been playing a little bit faster. Um, I think that because Busquets plays the way he does, he, in terms of, um, to be honest, in my eyes, he slows the game down a lot of the time lately. But, you know, you cannot really blame the guy. If there is an, an attacking option that is um, all the way open to the wing, especially the right wing, given the position that he was playing. So I think that the system that was being played, that didn't enable him to distribute the ball as quickly and as wide as he would have liked to. And because he didn't have those options, or he didn't have those options in the terms that he trusted those options well enough and, and, and you know deeply enough to release the ball quicker, I think that's probably what people are referring to. Um, I think that obviously Busquets, there was a couple, and you know we're used to this. We've been watching the guy for 15 years but there are several locations in which he's got the ball at the edge of the, of the box, for example, and he doesn't just take a shot. Um, there were two very clear ones in which he sort of lobbed the ball over to Jordi Alba that was coming from, you know, Russia on the side. Um, there wasn't any need to do that. He could just take a shot. It's what Deco used to do all the time, you know, and, and the, the way that Deco used to play in those situations reminds me of what Pjanic used to do at Juventus that he's not doing with us just yet, yeah. which is just, just take a shot just take a shot, and if it deflects on someone's backside and goes in, it's a goal, you know, and that, in those situations, I think that Barca are lacking that, especially when you're playing against a team that, with all due respect to Gadi, they sort of just just park the bus, and am not simplifying it a lot, but defensively, they were really solid, they had a big concentration of players in the middle, and I think that when you've got you're already sort of hurting your attacking ethos, your attacking system by having the double pivot playing against Cádiz, which is a completely different story. Then that's why I said a 4-3-3 would have been more effective. Yeah, to be honest, I think that a good coach halfway through the, the game would have gone for a 3-4-3 at some stage. You know, you take away a defender because you know that these guys are just trying to hit you in the counter. But when they do that, if you've got a um, fast enough center back and clue up right back and left back, then you may be able to counter it, but obviously that's not a solution that Kuman thought about. Well, that's uh, I, honestly though, it.
2: that's kind of what shaped the end of the match. In they kind of ended Barca did in a 3-4-3 three, three when yeah, they were the desperate,
3: end. but or you could yeah. call it a
2: six up top. I mean, depending on what you're going to call at the end of the game, yeah. but
3: uh, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. But I think that was I think that was done more about desperation of Kuman looking at the uh, the bench and saying, right, who do I have? How can I make my attacking players play? and then just sort of shifting the the drawing, the, the formation to, to suit that, rather than a pre-planned option in which you really know what you're going to do next. Um, and I think that Kuman a lot of times, uh, especially when we've lost, obviously, he tends to plonk a lot of attackers and just see the work, when actually, by doing that, you are eating into each other's spaces, and you're actually, the amount of effectiveness is decreasing as a result. Sometimes less is more, and I think that the, what Bar was with And I think that has to be the way because it enables players like, for example, Braithwaite to run into spaces that otherwise are occupied.
2: Yeah, I like that point that you made about Pjanic that he did have those two shots that he saw that he was visibly frustrated that he missed late on the match. And we do forget that he does have the ability to put the ball in the back of the net. He is a bit of a shooting defensive midfielder. And he played a little farther forward as well for Juventus for all those, even Roma. Roma, he was basically an interior in what was a Roma 4-3-3 a few seasons ago. So Pjanic, the point about Pjanic is that he has not been his best at Barcelona and it does take a little bit of time to not only acclimate, but remember he also did have the virus as well. So we've talked about his fitness, Coleman has brought up his fitness as to why he's not really starting and integrating himself at a full level. But moving forward, if you could finally get Pjanic to 95%, De Jong and Busquets, and this is the point that people bring up that you kind of have to agree with, De Jong and Busquets don't make sense together. De Jong takes, when Busquets is on the field, De Jong takes too many extra touches, and that's on him, that's on the the Dutch player, not Busquets. And as you mentioned, Busquets is constantly trying to circulate and circulate and circulate, but unlike where we saw Alenia making those runs midweek, or even the previous week against Dynamo Kiev as well, in Ukraine, Frankie De Jong is very occasionally, very occasionally, I will say he did it once against Kadeth, where he makes that run straight up the middle to try to go, basically the Arturo Vidal, if that's what we're going to call it, the Paulinho, the Arturo Vidal run, and De Jong just doesn't make that run more than one time per match. So the one time it does happen per match though, he always gets in behind. That's why you always see that close-up shot the camera gives when De Jong gets in behind, because the one occasion he does it, he he needs to do it in that perfect moment, and Busquets or whoever it may be that that finds him, it's usually Messi. Actually, up over the top, the reverse is my issue where those connections that you were alluding to as well. Busquets winds up finding Messi. Busquets winds up finding Alba and Dest. De Young winds up finding Griezmann and Brothwaite in that match, but very rarely does De Young find Messi, which is always interesting to me because De Young operates at that left double pivot spot, and Messi obviously starts on the right wing and comes in and inverts himself. And so it's always interesting that that run is there and that pass is never hit. I've also noticed that DeYoung and Roberto don't really match up well, yet DeYoung finds death a little bit more often which is always interesting where Roberto has those runs not made. And so I've been trying to figure out over the course of the season where almost who works well with who. And it's silly because these are professionals. These are some of the best players in the world. And obviously, they're not personally trying to say, oh, De Jong and Messi don't pass to each other because of X, Y, Z reason. It's not personal. It's not a thing like that. But it's just always interesting to me to find the dynamics of what is working and what isn't working and who's working well with each other. And that's, again, the unfortunate thing, not to bookend and, and really give it to Coutinho too hard, but when I look at Coutinho and the connections he makes on the field, De Jong and Coutinho find each other, and then Coutinho and Alba find each other, but those are 12-yard passes. Coutinho very rarely switches play as well, where Coutinho to Dest was not a viable option. And for Coutinho, even to Messi, when those connections are happening, they're in tight spaces, and that's where Coutinho has been at his best, but that means that Griezmann basically has to stand on the sideline or go back and, and sit with Ter Stegen and talk about what's happening up the field, because then when Coutinho and Messi are operating centrally together and those combinations are working, then Griezmann is nowhere near part of the picture. So not again yeah. to heap on Coutinho, but his heat map and his passing connections don't necessarily work either, and those connections are something that, I, I don't know if Coleman can change, right? This is where you have experienced players who've been playing together for a long time. And if I were to look at it and say, who does Puj work best with? Who does Pedri work best with? Who does Alenia work best with? I don't really have an answer to that. And yeah, it's because they play limited minutes, but they seem to work in the system. And Puj and Alenia to a fault. They're not playing because they were raised in La Masia as interiors who don't fit in this system. But When they come on the field, they're so used to playing in a system, it seems like they don't care who they're passing the ball to. And not that the other, again, it's not personal as to why the other players are not passing to each other. But by playing in that system, I don't really have to look at the connections that don't exist when you're talking about Alenya and Puj. And some of those players that have, even Mingueta. Mingueta, he it doesn't seem to matter who he's passing the ball to. He seems to deliver the pass, makes sense in the system.
3: Yeah, I think that the key point is and I know it's just a number, but it is important, and it's the amount of money that the Barca boards pay for them. Um, when you've got someone like Messi getting the wages that he does, when you've got someone like Griezmann or Coutinho getting the wages that they do and costing the amount of money that they did, then you're expecting a little bit more. So when someone like Alanya or Ricky Puch either succeed or don't, then that's neither here nor there because they are products of La Masia, that, as you mentioned, they, they know the system, they know the Barca system, so they're always going to be able to associate with those who understand the Barca system, which should be the majority of people within the Barca team. But when you've got these newcomers or superstars joining the team, you want them to make a difference, and you want them to, to complement in a way that those from La Masia cannot. And we're just not seeing that. We're just not seeing that. To be honest, I think that Griezmann, Messi, and Coutinho cannot really be in the same lineup. I think that we've got plenty of evidence that has shown that unless either Griezmann or Messi are the striker themselves, and Coutinho is the number 10, and the other one is playing in a wing. So, for example, you've got Messi as a striker, you've got Griezmann as a right wing, and you've got Coutinho as an attacking midfielder in the ten position. That may work. I think that when you've got... But
2: it hasn't, though, because Griezmann doesn't associate well as a secondary striker off of
3: Messi. We've seen well, that. That's that, what I'm
2: saying. Yeah, it just doesn't... That, that... There's no good solution, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that is the only solution that in paintball would work, but not even that has had the effect that it should. So I think that having one or two, if you're going to have them, then have two of them tops at once and then getting the other one to start from the bench. Um, Yeah. I think that these bars, if the game against Cardiff showed us something, is that you need someone like Fatih or Dembélé uh, playing in the wings or even Serginho Dest if you push it, you know, because Trincao really hasn't been as incisive Drifting towards the byline as we thought he was going to do. In fact, when Trical does a lot, he gets the ball in possession and he tends to a lot of the time dribble towards the middle. So when he dribbles sort of towards the byline, that actually causes the element of surprise. But he doesn't do that often enough. So I think someone like um, I'm just gonna say it, something like Neymar would do, something like uh, Dembele when he was when he is fit, which he's not really very often would do what Fatih used to do when he was fit as well, I think that's what Barca desperately need. And if you're not going to have either one of those two, because obviously Neymar is not with us, then giving the depth for Serginho Des or allowing Alba to run the byline, but not just associating to Messi the whole time, because that's easy. I mean, you and I have got it. I'm sure every opponent coach and opponent defender has got it as well. Then it's just too easy to defend. So I think that that association with the, let's just say the two number 10s, has to be limited at that. If you got the three, nothing really has worked this season. And I think it's about time Kuman realized that.
2: Well, Trincao at Braga, that's exactly what he was too. He was an inverted winger and he was taking on that responsibility. So I think I did this last week, but a quick defense of Trincao as well. We're so impressed at how quickly Pedri and I mean even Fatih, where he broke on the scene, coming from the academy is a little different. But the way that Pedri has acclimated to Barcelona so quickly, his game just fits so seamlessly into the system. But for Trinchau, he has to change his game. He has to almost, re, how do I say this, he almost has to relearn things that he has learned at Braga or bad habits that he has. He has to relearn those. And this is the first half of a 20-year-old season at Barcelona. So. Unlike a Coutinho or a Griezmann, when they show up and don't operate, or even Brothwaite, who's been around the block a while, if he doesn't show up and, and score goals, which he didn't when he showed up last season, but he is this season, but in their first half a season, we we can be a little harder on players that are in their prime or that are regular experienced players. And Trincao, I would say, you know, we argue about being patient with and all the La Masia players, but you need to be patient for just a minute with a 20-year-old. I don't expect him to be at his best, that being Trinchao, for at least two seasons, which is crazy to say because at Barcelona, you don't get two seasons to figure it out, but he's a a bench option this year. He's not going to be a starter. That's what he is. He's the bench option that you hope that he can get his scoring boots, get some confidence, do some growing, and figure things out To be a Barcelona player and contributor next season, where last year he had eight goals for Braga, and we expected at least four goals this season is what we had said. And so far he's one of the ones that just is not hitting at that rate. And there's a lot of players when we counted those goals out who have not hit it, who have not hit their goal totals. One of those who might, and you mentioned Dembele. Unfortunately, Dembele now potentially out for two or three more weeks with hamstring. However, however, the reports are that it is not his reoccurring. Yes, it is a reoccurring hamstring. It's the same muscle, but it does not seem to be the same cause that it normally is. And it seems like he should be back. It's more of a knock than it is an actual muscle injury that could came out for a while. But with Dembele, you never know. So bringing that up, that there is no Fati, there is no Dembele. We're going to wrap this show up, Frances, by asking you, if you're Coleman, you play now, depending on when you're going to hear this, probably Monday. So in less than 24 hours or at least less than 3 days after playing against Cadiz on the road and taking that L, you've got to go and play against Juventus. Now, Barca need to lose by less than 2, and I say lose, <laughs> they need to lose need by to less lose. Yeah, they need to lose <laughs> by less than 2 goals. So that's the point. That if they lose 3-nothing, they get second in the group and now you have to face Bayern Munich and whoever else have toppled their group or gotten first in their group. And with how strong the group winners have been in the Champions League this year where there seems to be a few of those just The few teams that are clicking and all the rest of the Giants are struggling, even, you know, Real Madrid might not even make the Champions League. I mean, I'm trying to speak it into existence, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) if they don't get a result, you know. but They will. They will, they will, I know. I'm just trying to speak it into existence. But anyway, they're still going to be the runners-up in their group most likely. So you're getting, for Barcelona, you do not want to be runners-up. You do want to win your group. And as I said, even if you lose 2-1, you still wind up moving on. Even if you lose 2-0, I believe they would still move on with that scoreline because of the goal differential because they walloped up Ferran Varos by so many many goals and Dina Mokia by so many goals. So I, I think all they need to do is not lose by more than two goals and they wind up winning the group. Even getting a goal winds up moving them on. So for Barcelona, it's a matter of you cannot play terribly. You cannot be run off the pitch by a team that is going to be pushing with Cristiano Ronaldo back for a result. But who do you start in a match that is... What's a term between must win and doesn't really matter? I I, I kind of need one of those. It's not a must win match. I wouldn't say that even against Juventus. It's not much win, but also you need to get some kind of result.
3: Do you? I don't think you do. I mean, as I, I said, th-
2: you lose one nothing. Is that a result? I mean, I guess. Like you just need to play the numbers game. You just need to get some kind I, of numbers result.
3: I think in the Champions League, and I'm I'm guessing in the minority here. Once you've qualified, it doesn't matter if you're first or second. Obviously, it's better to be first because you avoid the big, big guys um, and and you you face them later on. But I think to win a World Cup, to win a Champions League, you're always going to have to face the best teams anyway. Yeah, Um, And arguably, Barca do better against teams that are better. I think that playing against Levante, Leganes, Cádiz, Alaves, it's not always going to be are uh, working the part for Barca because they're not always mentally ready. So I'm not scared of playing against the favorites, the, the bigger teams at the European level, because I, th- I know that Barca will at least be mentally ready for those.
2: I don't know. I'm still uh, having Bayern Munich nightmares, though. Just, just yeah, not Munich. But, just don't give me Munich. Yeah, just yeah, give yeah. me, not them. But, but, Anyone but yeah, them. But, but,
3: yes, but Bayern Munich, they comer aparte. They, they eat a different dish. You know, they are, I think <laughs> they are head and shoulders above everybody else in European football right now. Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm not too fast. Um, what I would do, and obviously you need to take into account the situation in La Liga. So if I'm the manager, I think that if you lose another Liga match or you lose another two matches, then you are facing the sack, to be honest. Um, I think that if you've led, led, if you've managed to get Barca to start the worst La Liga campaign in 33 years, I think your job has to be in the balance, obviously. He will be too. He's too expensive to sack because there's no money. Uh, there is not even a president, a chairman, who can really sack you. Um, if Carlos Tusquets, uh, by all of the declaraciones, by all of the comments he's made to the media, he's just about saving, 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 to be honest. So if Guman is not at risk of getting the chop, it's simply because he would be too expensive to sack at this stage. Uh, but having said that, if I'm the manager, I know that the game in Juventus doesn't matter. As such, and the, the next La Liga game really does because that's where my that's where my livelihood is going to be. You know, yeah. that's where my survival as a manager at Barça is going to be. Um, if the next two results in La Liga are not good, then Kuman's job would be would be at stake. I mean, in the Catalan media, I was listening to Catalonia Radio all of last week, and and again just before we came on air, most journalists are unhappy about the way that Barça are playing, not just because of what they see on the pitch, but also because of the formation that, that Kuman is going for and the fact that it doesn't necessarily align with the Barca ideals and the way that they, in their eyes, they think Barca would be better given the players they have. You can somehow disagree with that because the double pivot adds more, more solidity, especially in transitions. But obviously, when you're playing against a team that um, mainly defend or you can say they park part of the bus or so they're more defensive than the average then they're not really able to, to break them moving forward. So, so there are a lot of voices that sort of disagree about the way that, that Barca has been run. And obviously, all of those point directly at the manager. But no one really is calling for him to resign. No one really is calling for the board to, to, to get rid of him. Um, but the thing is, if you don't have a couple of good results in La Liga, especially before, before Christmas, then those voices will start talking. And in, in Barcelona, in the Camp Nou, in the Catalan media especially, once the run-run starts, once the disagreement, the moaning, etc., it's very, very hard to stop it. So if I'm the manager, I get more playing time for my youngsters so they continue to grow at European level. Um, I don't think you put Barca B out, though. I think someone like Braithwaite, someone like Test, um, Jordi Alba... Uh, Lane-led should all really be started because you know in center back you don't really have many more choices. Yeah. Mingueza starts again in the double pivot. I would put Pjanic is Juventus so you put Pjanic against his older team and um, you, you give some chances maybe Trincao, maybe even Conrad to be honest. Maybe Alagna as you've mentioned. Uh, maybe you give Messi some more rest. Maybe you try Griezmann as a starter as a striker again. I'm not sure what I would do. But what I do think is that you cannot really have all of your big guns playing in Europe in Europe because the match that really, really matters is a domestic one, uh because you can't really be fifteen points behind Atletico in the next match.
2: Yeah, I don't want to end the the show on a little bit of flame, but I agree with that point that the Champions League, even this result isn't as important as a liga because if you do fail as we talked about it's an easier schedule now for the next few weeks so if you fail to get results in the say four of your five next matches then you've done it against this the bottom half of the liga table which is not obviously where you want to be and so for komen i agree that i mean was the 4231 i mean we both agreed at the start of the year that seemed to be the idea that worked but what i don't understand is yes you don't want to change things up all the time but I don't understand how these professionals, particularly ones that have been around Barcelona and played a 4-3-3 for so many years, why can't you play a 4-3-3 against a low block or a medium block or against one of the defensive teams and play a 4-2-3-1 against a Juventus against the teams that the 4-2-3-1 has worked against, which are... Basically, the teams that play a 4-2-3-1 as well were like to attack, like to come at you. So it doesn't make sense to me why you can't play a 4-3-3 against a one ty- type of team in a 4-2-3-1, when again, as we talked about, you have the personnel to play both of those, where Pjanic, yeah, he operates better in a double pivot, and Lenya operates better in a 4-3-3 right? So when you play a four three three, you use the player that operates better in that system. When you have a four two three one, one you use the player that operates better in that system. But I don't know. It seems to be rocket science to me. But I guess I'll end this on a, a final bomb. I don't even know if I'm going to give you time to respond to this. But if Coleman winds up not getting results in some of these matches towards Christmas, I agree that the club cannot sack him and bring someone else in. But you can't tell me that even though he might have lost the locker room, even though he may not have had the top level experience, but you can't tell me that Francisco Pimienta, I mean, I've watched him plenty. You can't tell me that he would have not been able to guide Barcelona to 14th or or 13th place in the La Liga table. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I did I think that they could have won La Liga with Francisco Pimienta? No, because I agreed with you that he might have been overwhelmed by the job, by the experience, and all the things that go into it. But you can't tell me that he couldn't have managed this team to a 13-place finish. Or, I mean, by, by Christmas, you know, by midweek. I mean, right now, Barca's sitting at ninth. So, they are one or two results against a Levante, against second half, bottom half table teams to make this look really, really ugly. And yeah, you're right. They don't have money to bring somebody else in until at least next year. And the board is also getting replaced in just over a little less than two months. So this club is going to continue to see upheaval. You're going to have continue to have ideas thrown out and uh, depends on who wins, whether it's uh, Laporta or Font. And again, we somehow have made it almost an hour without mentioning mentioning there's an election coming, but that's what it is. So I guess I, I, can't, I don't have time to give you the final word, Frances, but how about one sentence in response to all that?
3: I think that you really know what you're talking about, Dan. (laughs) Well, I (laughs) hope that all these listeners
2: think that we knew what we were talking about because again, that's going to end another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe, find us on social media, on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, at HiltonD13 for me, on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link slash group. Deeper dive discussions, I mentioned them at the beginning of the show. It's a good place to be as well as the Patreon. TBPod.link backslash patreon. You help us continue to make these shows. We're also on YouTube, as you know, at the Barcelona Podcast. In case you're watching this video version of it, I hope you enjoyed this. I don't know how often we're going to be doing it. Not often, but make sure you leave some nice things in the comments and don't. If you're going to make fun, at least make it funny. I've had some funny ones recently. So if you're going to make fun of me or you're going to mention some movie character, make sure it's funny. Make sure it's good and lighthearted. None of that mean stuff. Again, I just report that. I throw that all out. That doesn't matter to me. So whatever you do, though, hit that button to subscribe to the channel and continue to help us out on YouTube as well. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza.